0: Hey, friends morning. Welcome to Seacoast. So glad that you are here with us this weekend. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and so proud of you for getting out in the rain. I don't know where you may be logging on from online, but it's a nasty day here in Mount Pleasant. I'm sure at some of our campuses needless to say, I'm proud of you for showing up in the house for getting online to go after God together with us. If it's your first time, I'm especially glad that you're here and just excited to see what God does in your heart today. We've got a lot to celebrate this weekend. First and foremost is that today marks the end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Can we praise God for what he's done over the last 21 days? I just saw somebody in the middle here raise the roof. I had not seen that one in a while, but uh, I guess that's how you end a fast. Way to go. But if you're thinking, what in the world is that? For the first 21 days of the year, we as a church, we've been meeting up here Monday through Thursday in person at each of our campuses and online, just setting aside the beginning of our day, the beginning of this year to go after God In prayer online, we've had nearly 2,500 people every morning. We've had record numbers show up in person at our campus. And this is what I want you to remember. As we step into the year, there's going to be moments where you sense the blessing of God, the favor of God. And I want you to remember that this is that in those moments you prayed for them. You laid a foundation in the faith, believing that when we put God first, he's going to show up in incredible ways. So we're just excited and proud of all of you that joined us and would say, man, let's make it a rhythm. Let's continue to put God first, knowing that when we do blessing, provision and favor, follow that. So just excited. One, that it ends today. Your boy's going to eat like a big dog after church and uh, excited for what God did. And the second thing I want to say, how many of you would agree with me that you invest in things that matter? Right. For all of our married folks in the room online at campuses, throw a hand up for them. Let me see. So something important for you to know is that we are, are less than a month away from Valentine's Day, okay? And so if that was not on your radar, you've got plenty of time now, runway, to make something happen. But we wanted to hook you up with perhaps the best gift you could get your spouse, and that's that we're having a marriage conference at our Somerville campus and Irmo campus on Valentine's Day weekends. So you can go ahead and knock this gift out for each other, make an investment in your, in your marriage. For more information, all you got to do is go to seacoast.org forward slash... Marriage Low Country or Forward Slash Marriage Midlands, depending on where you're going to be. Uh, My wife Katie and I will be at our Somerville campus. Pastor Josh and Lisa are going to be at our Irmo campus, but it's going to be a fun weekend. I want to invite you to make that investment in your marriage. We can do it as a church together. Well, I'm excited about what God has for us today. We've been in a series called The Power of Routine, looking at how do we kick off this year, establishing some routines that'll bring about life for each of us that we might step into and experience the fullness of life that Jesus paid for. Today, we're going to be looking at prayer. And so let me take just a minute and do that for us. Pray for us, and we'll jump into the word together. God, we thank you so much for this weekend. We praise you, God. For a new day, we praise you for, for breath in our lungs, for the opportunity, for the blessing that it is to join with our church family, to go after you, to experience your power and presence. And I'm thankful, God, that your word is living and active, that it does not return void. And so I just pray for each of us today, wherever we may be in our journey with you, whether this is our first time showing up at church or if we've been walking with you for a long time, might your word bear fruit in our hearts and lives and our families as we get in it today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Got a question for you as we get started. What would you do if your house was on fire? Let me introduce you to high school Josh. He looks, <laughs> he looks very similar to the Josh that you know. However, he, he faithfully rocked a bowl cut. Yes, I did just start talking about him in third person because I want to create distance between who he was. <laughs> who I am. Right? He typically wore polo shirts that were about two sizes too big, had baggy pants, and though he grew up in the burbs, he liked to see himself as a gangster. Okay. And so this is his glamour shots picture, senior picture, um, and, and looking a little bit more like a Belk model, but that was not the, the typical style he wore. Well, one day, He, I'm going to have to jump out of third person at some point here. One day I drove home, I pulled in the driveway, and usually I could see through the front windows, through the back window into the backyard. And it wasn't something I even realized that you could do until the day that I couldn't. And so I had just started driving. It's also important to note that this was pre-Jesus Uh, I didn't have the Holy Spirit sealed in me yet, the leadership and guidance of Almighty God (laughs) as part of my life. I was a typical high school boy. Okay, so I pull in the driveway, realize that I can't see through the house. All the windows were white. That's weird. We didn't have curtains. We didn't have blinds up. Why can't I see? That's just odd. Well, I look up and realize that smoke is coming out of the chimney. And in that moment, realize, oh my gosh, my house is on fire. Well, I grew up in a home where, my parents would buy me just about anything I wanted in terms of shoes or clothes or stereo equipment, whatever it was, but I had to work and pay for half of it. So I had pushed my lawnmower all over the neighborhood, saved up money, and had a pretty nice shoe collection. And so as I'm sitting in the driveway that day, nobody else is home, I'm seeing smoke in the windows and out the chimney. My my go-to thought was, dear God, my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> And so I did what any of you would have done. I hopped out of my car. I walk up to the front door, tap it, wondering if it's hot. I open it up. And just like you see in the movies, the top two thirds of the house was full of smoke. But the bottom third was just this clear kind of walkway of, of fun. And so I just thought, I bet I can get down underneath that smoke, crawl to my room, get all of my shoes out, and then call the fire department. Because if I call them first and they run up in here spraying stuff, like, those shoes could be ruined, right? And so, so I do just that. I crawl through the house, make the turn in the hallway, go up the hallway, make the turn into my room, throw open the window, crawl back to the closet, grab my shoes, and I start throwing shoe boxes out, out of the window into the front yard, just grabbing, moving, grabbing. I get all those out. Then I go up to the closet, get my starter jacket. you will remember to pull over with the big, the big pocket. Get that star jacket. throw him out the window. Come on. The 49, I had the cowboy's jacket too, a big star on the back. You know, get that, throw, throw it out the window. I get all the valuables I had invested in out. Now, now, mind you, at this moment, I didn't know or even think about wedding pictures or anything that the normal adult would want to save in a burning house. But I got all this stuff out. I climb out the window. I scoop it all up, carry it over to Mr. Charlie's house, set it on top of his car. And then I knock on the door. Hey say, Mr. Charlie, uh, can I use your phone? I need to call the fire department. Our house is on fire. <laughs> so they come. Fortunately, it was all consolidated to the laundry room. The dryer had caught on fire. They pull it out. They threw the dryer out the big bay window, which was awesome. About that time, my mom and dad get home. They're like, what happened? Oh, my goodness. Why? Why are all your clothes on Mr. Charlie's car? <laughs> I was like, well, mom, turns out I'm a hero. <laughs> I crawled in and I saved all of these belongings, right? So if you're a student with us today, this isn't a part of the message, but I just want you to know one of the three reasons that you may have a cell phone is if you're late, if you're in trouble or if your house is on fire. Okay, and the first thing you do is call the fire department. We have homeowner's insurance. You don't need to save your starter jacket. Those, they are making a comeback. I saw those, Alan. I really like yours. Just know, like, <laughs> do not walk in Pastor Josh's example. There were no cell phones at this moment. Okay, so we're, we can all relate to times in our life when we have a, a crisis, a problem, a conflict of some kind. And the first thing that we do is leverage our resources. What do I have at my disposal to solve, resolve, to mediate this problem? How can I address it in some way? But we've all experienced times in life where the conflict or the the point of pain was so intense that we didn't waste time trying to manage resources, trying to leverage anything at our disposal. But instead of going to resources, we had to go to the source. Who is the person? What is the place that can solve or resolve this problem. In my case, that was the fire department, right? But in the fires of life, we've all experienced moments that we just can't fix. I remember when our daughter, Anna Jay, was born, our first child, man, we were so excited and felt called to have seven kids. Katie and I were 20 and 21. I remember she was born. I was just over Katie's shoulder, and we had just these tears of joy of this vision. This day had finally come about. Katie delivers her. Notice I said Katie. Sometimes I say we, but it's like it wasn't a we. It was she. Right? So the baby's delivered. And in a moment, we sense in the room this, this panic. And the nurses had gone from like celebration and joy to work. They'd grabbed her. They were smacking her feet. They rush her over to the thing. They're squeezing little syringes in and out of everything, trying to get her to cry. She wasn't crying. In the process of being born, the umbilical cord had been wrapped around her neck, and she came out straight blue, looking Mama Smurf. We thought she was so beautiful, but we look back at pictures now, and it's like, yeah, she was blue, blue, like <laughs> super blue. But I remember in that moment, the tears of joy, like the epic high that we experienced all of a sudden becoming tears of desperation and a breath. Now, I remember holding Katie's shoulders, whispering in her ear to say, God, please, God, please, God, please heal our little girl. We've all experienced moments like that may not have been around a child, might have been for a friend or a diagnosis, a point and moment in your life where you acknowledge I am powerless to do anything in this situation. We experienced one as a nation on Monday night, January 2nd of this year, the first Monday night football game, 27.8 million people logged on to watch the Cincinnati Bengals play the Buffalo Bills. And just moments after the game started in the first quarter, T. Higgins, who's a wide receiver for the Bengals, cuts across the field. He catches the ball, and DeMar Hamlin, a safety for the Bills, runs up, hits him, tackles him. It was a routine play. Nothing about it seemed abnormally hard or difficult. DeMar Hamlin hops up, and moments after hopping up, he falls back to the ground, experiencing cardiac arrest. T. had hit him at just the right spot in terms of the Cadence of his heartbeat at just the right time that it sent him into cardiac arrest. And we experienced that as a nation. 28, nearly million people watching online across the country there in person. Paramedics run out on the field and for nearly 10 minutes complete chest compressions. He's rushed off to a hospital. Both teams are on their knees in prayer. A stadium is silent. And we're praying, God, please save his life. God, please save his life. It was traumatic for everyone. In the week that would follow that, all 32 NFL teams changed their Twitter avatar to a graphic that said, Pray for Demar. We saw major news outlets, movie stars, broadcasters, all saying we believe in the power of prayer. We saw professions of faith on stations that we normally log on to for sports news. Benjamin Watson was interviewed by Anderson Cooper, and over the course of their their conversation, Watson said, life can change in the blink of an eye. DeMar's injury has made us all wrestle with this truth. It served as a reminder of our own mortality. And while we pray for him as he fights for his life, we must ask ourselves, where will we spend eternity? Watson's a Super Bowl winning tight end for the Patriots and Saints, and he's talking with Anderson Cooper about eternal life thinking, like, this is our song. (laughs) Like, this is what we're all about. They're talking about our thing, right? Even folks who weren't believers, sportcaster Nick Wright, who's the host of First Things First on Fox Sports, pointed to his colleague Chris Broussard, who's an outspoken believer, on air, and says, I've longed for the kind of comfort that faith brings. I'm thinking, man, people who aren't even believers are grieving Over seeing the traumatic experience of a player dying on the field, seeing others comforted by faith and saying, man, I've always longed to have that kind of comfort in difficult situations, because how many of you know you're going to walk through some difficult situations in life? USA Today posted an article later that week processing what took place on Monday night. I want to read you a portion of it. It says, in a supposedly secularizing nation, our true instincts emerge in times of crisis. We appeal to something outside of ourselves to a power beyond us to save us. Our greatest stories tell this same tale from superhero movies to interest in the paranormal. We know there is a world beyond this world. The Christian gospel says that to access this other world, it's possible because of an event we celebrated last month. God's visit to the world he made the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus make possible what we long for on nights like Monday a reversal of the tragedy of death, personal transformation, and a restoration of the broken world. So perhaps the reports of America's religious decline are greatly exaggerated. And at least on one cold night in Cincinnati, America started to pray again. I'm like, brother, this is USA Today. (laughs) Can you believe it? I'm like, we know that God uses all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But he just invited 28 million people to receive comfort from their creator, to consider eternal life, to question where they're going to spend eternity, to take a step towards him in prayer. People that know him and love him and people that were far from him could receive comfort in him. Mainstream outlets talking about our God and the gift of eternal life. Well, in processing all of the commentary and conversation Live on an ESPN broadcast, Dan Orlovsky felt led to respond a different way. I want you to see what he did.
1: Um, football gave me everything, you know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football mm-hmm. as well that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Sheriff and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say that we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want to... It's just on my heart that I want to pray for... It is. ...Damar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that your God and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad, we're angry, um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you, and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace, If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful.
0: Now, normally, I try not to spend much time in the comment section on social But after seeing that prayer, I just want to see how are people responding? And at the time, there were 8000 comments. And so I spent an hour or two just scrolling through reading. I must have gotten through three or 400 of them. And usually that's a scary place. People saying, keep your comments to yourself, you know, just just ripping people for no reason. Every single comment I saw, we need more of this in mainstream media. Thank you for being so bold. Standing with you, I believe in the power of prayer in the face of tragedy. Man, our nation responded, pleading for life, acknowledging we can't fix this. Yes, God used paramedics, but ultimately he is the author, the creator, the sustainer of life. What's interesting about it is that each of us are bombarded with crisis every week, whether it's ours or not. It might be in conversation with a friend. It might be on Facebook. And one of the things that challenged me about him taking a moment in the moment to actually pray for him in light of everyone else having posted a graphic or talking about believing in the power of prayer is a phrase that I catch myself saying all too often. In fact, just last week, read about a friend going through a medical crisis on Facebook, and I got in the chat and said, hey, I'll be praying for you. And I realized in that phrase behind it is good intentions, When I talk with someone that's in pain or hurting or in transition or when I read about it online, I want them to know that I hurt with them. I hurt for them, that they could piggyback on my faith. But oftentimes that phrase, I'll be praying for you, can become Christianese filibuster, like a transition statement that unless you're keeping some hardcore spreadsheet, like tracking all of the people's pain points and needs, there's a good chance you're not going to remember When you sit down to pray, Barna is an organization that studies a lot of faith based activities and spiritual disciplines. And according to Barna, 55% of Christians say that they pray daily of that 55%. The average Christian spends one minute a day in prayer. I'm thinking, man, based on the powerful response we've seen from our culture, based on the invitation that God has put before us. Like prayer for us isn't some religious duty or something that that we have to do out of obligation because we have to do it or a good Christian should do it. But our heavenly father, our maker is inviting us into conversation with him, that we could have intimacy with him, that he would deposit in us the things that we need for that day, that he could help us process our pain points and trauma, that we might know how he sees us, the way he speaks over us. Prayer is an incredible invitation to walk with him. James 5, 16 says this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Beyond just knowing him and spending time with him, our prayers bring about impact in the world around us. That's what we were seeing on ESPN, which still blows my mind, right? Now, some of you might be saying, well, that's the prayers of a righteous person. That's not me. That might be Pastor Greg. Well, the Bible tells us that the righteous will live by faith. It goes on to say powerful and effective in English. That's two words, but in the Greek, it's just one word, which is geho. and it means to set things in motion. So another way that you could read this passage is that the prayers of a man and woman of faith set things in motion. That's what we did for the last 21 days. How many of you would say over the course of this next year, there are some things in my life I want to set in motion. I have a daughter that's talking about marriage. I want to set in motion a faithful, lifelong marriage. I've got friends battling illness right now. I'm going to pray, and I want to set some things in motion that they might step into healing. There's going to be some of you this year that have professional transitions that you don't see coming or you don't know about yet, but you can pray about the gifts God's given you. You can pray about your career, and you can set some things in motion that you walk into later this year. We all want that. This year doesn't have to come at us by surprise, and we don't have to waffle or or stumble through it because we have access to a mighty God inviting us in to a conversation. If you were to ask me about my prayer life and would I say it's strong and crushing it, my answer would be much like most of yours. Like, no, there's lots of room for improvement. So today I wanted to get really practical with us. How can we talk about prayer that it would in some way Paint a picture for us that we might not feel bad about what we've done in the past. There is no shame on you here, but there is an invitation from our maker to walk in intimacy with him and pray the kind of prayers that would change the world around us. So how can I grow in prayer? A couple thoughts for us. Number one is to schedule it. Schedule it. Everybody say schedule it. Schedule it. When you think about your calendar for last week, what kind of stuff was on there? Chances are it was things that you were responsible for. If you're a student, classes to go to, tests to study for. If you're an adult, work meetings, maybe oil changes. You got to get the house pressure washed. Oftentimes, when it comes to our calendar, the things that we schedule, we carry with them more of a sense of responsibility. But according to Jewish law, Jews prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. And that was modeled after the the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what was unique to each of their lives is that their, their leadership posture was modeled out of faith, awe, and mercy. And so for a Jew, those prayer times embodied those topics, love, awe, and mercy. In the morning, God helped me step into an attitude to a posture of love today, reminded that I'm loved by you, that I might love others at lunchtime. Being awed that God would use you, that he would place you here, that he would work through you. Man, we could use that prayer at lunchtime, right? If you had a hard day, just being awed by who God is, by what he's doing. At the end of the day, mercy. That he might not get you, not not give you what you deserve, and give you what you don't deserve. I praise you, God, for your mercy in my life. It was a rhythm for them. We see that in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It said, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. 3 times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. In Psalm 55:17 we saw David say, "Evening, morning and noon I cry out to you in distress, and he hears my voice." When Jesus came on the scene, scripture tells us that he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. He lived and modeled a lifestyle of intimacy with our father. Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. How do we do that? Pray nonstop. But we saw it embodied in the life of Jesus. Mark 1 says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 6 One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. See, what's interesting about prayer is that the longest prayer in scripture is found in John 17. That's where Jesus prays for you and I. That's the longest written prayer, and it takes about two minutes and 30 seconds to read. We also see here that Jesus prayed all night. So there's an example of praying hours and hours. But I can't help but wonder what would it look like for you and I, if the average Christian is praying a minute a day, what would it look like for you to make your first calendar appointment five minutes after your alarm goes off, right, that you're going to get up for me, it's go start the coffee maker so I don't fall back asleep. Right, But if your first appointment is just a couple minutes after waking up or before your feet hit the floor and say, you know what? If the longest written prayer is two minutes and 30 seconds, my first calendar appointment is going to be for two and a half minutes, and I'm going to go after God. I'm going to pray for my friends. I'm going to pray for my family. There's so much to learn about prayer. Prayers of adoration, praising God for who he is, prayers of supplication, giving him my needs, prayers of intercession, praying for my friends. You can give yourself to to reading about prayer in that two and a half minutes and then go after God for a few moments in it, much like Jesus did. Maybe the last calendar appointment, the very end of your day is going to be two and a half minutes where you go after him. Oftentimes you can think about your calendar and think it would be weird or awkward to schedule intimacy. For any of you that are married, you know, the importance of putting a date night on the calendar, right? As busy as life can be. If you don't put it down, there's a good chance it doesn't happen. And time with God can be the same way. Schedule it. Put prayer time on the calendar to ensure it happens. Because when you do, you'll cultivate intimacy with your maker, and you'll set some things in motion. So number one, schedule it. Number two is show up. Once you get it on the calendar, show up for it. You know, anytime you get a calendar invite, sometimes it'll, it'll say, accept, decline, or maybe. And I've got a lot of things on my calendar that are a hard maybe, right? I'll pack a gym bag, spend time at the house, getting things together, put it in the bag, carry it out to the car, put it in the car, thinking I just might do that today. About mid-morning, I realized there ain't a chance I'm doing that today, <laughs> but it's still on the calendar. So for some reason, I feel a little bit better about it. Right? Once you pull it on the calendar, you got to show up one physically. I'm going to prioritize prayer and I'm going to give myself to it for those couple minutes. But then secondly, you got to show up emotionally. How many of you know with your spouse, with a friend? It's very possible for you to be physically present and mentally absent. Katie will be talking to me about a date night. She'll be on my phone. I'm scrolling through something. She'll be like, hey, would you want to go dancing? I'm like, yeah, babe, whatever, whatever you want to do. And then it's like somehow your mind hears things that you didn't realize you heard. Right? I'm going through the phone like, wait, wait, what'd you, what'd you say? You just say dancing? No, no, I don't want to do that. Right. You can be present with God out of the routine and monotony of I have to do this and not be fully mentally there, caught up in the worries of the day. David is the best example of this in Psalm 22 and 23. Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and I find no rest. Can you hear the distress of his emotion? Like just a painful place. God, I feel alone. Help me. You know, you hear him crying out to God. Yet you don't even have to turn the page. Get to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. (laughs) He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. (laughs) I'm reading these two things, and that dude's got a problem. (laughs) The highs and lows. But the reality is that's our life. And God wants that from you. Is it a bad day? Talk to him about it. Let it out. Where are you, God? Is it a great day? Then come to him and let him know. I'm so thankful for how you lead me, for how you guide me, for how you work in my life, for how you use me. So thankful, God. He wants you to show up physically, show up, but then show up mentally, show up emotionally as our father. He wants that from us. So you've got to schedule it. You've got to show up for it. Number three, you've got to speak out. See, if showing up for it physically, mentally, emotionally, if that helps usher the kingdom of God into my heart and life, into my day, into my perspective, then my willingness to speak out establishes the kingdom of God in the lives of others. It allows people to piggyback on our faith. It's what we experienced as a nation Through that prayer on a live broadcast, people who weren't of faith saw a guy. You could tell that wasn't his first time talking to God. That was a well-worn path. He was shaky. He was nervous, as we all would be. right? But he was able to talk to his dad in a moment of pain because he had done it in the past. And anytime we relate to a friend that's hurting or a friend that's in need and we're able to talk with our God, not only do the words of our prayer set something into motion, But what we model for them is the reality that there is someone else here with me in the room, and I believe he is able to heal. He is able to store restore. He is able to provide. And if we have a place of need, you can piggyback on my faith. My willingness to speak it out establishes the kingdom of God in the lives of others through faith. We saw this in Acts chapter three, verse six. Peter and John are walking along, and they come upon a man who is lame, and Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Man, anytime we pray with someone, that phrase, in Jesus' name, amen. Josh isn't stepping into this this narrative with any authority to make anything better. But when I step into your pain, when I step into your need, when I step into your brokenness in his authority, in his name, man, it brings about his purposes in each of our lives. We saw this in Matthew chapter eight, verses six through eight. A centurion comes to Jesus. His servant is suffering. He says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And the centurion, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go and let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Go and let it be done as you have believed. Man, our willingness to speak out in the pain that we're surrounded by brings about change. It sets things in motion in the lives of others, not just God working in their life, but them coming to know God. So what if for the next seven days, whether it's on Facebook Whether it's at work, whether it's in the neighborhood, when you're presented with pain or crisis of any kind, instead of saying, I'll be praying for you as sincerely as you mean it. What if you stopped and prayed for them right then? On Facebook, the comment would be God move in this situation. Provide as only you can bring about healing to their body. God, I pray that you would restore this marriage right now. You are the God who restores, who heals. I believe you can do it. It might be a one-sentence prayer. It might be a two-minute prayer. Don't get caught up in how it comes out and how long it is, but see if your willingness to speak the word of God doesn't do much more than your offering to pray for them later. At The beginning of this week, Katie and I went out of town with her mom and dad and my brother-in-law and her sister for a couple of days to celebrate my brother-in-law's 40th birthday, and while we were there, uh, Debbie is like super tech savvy. And so she started pulling all these things from the cloud, however that works, and and then simulcasting them somehow magically on the TV. So challenging how much more tech savvy she is than me. right? But we're sitting there and all of a sudden she starts pulling stuff, pulling stuff down, broadcasting it on the TV. And we're watching our like wedding videos, rehearsal videos. And I'm just thinking like, man, I looked like a baby. Katie and I just look like teenagers. And so I asked Debbie, I was like, did did you struggle so much the day that I drove up to Charlotte and asked you and Gibson if I could have her hand in marriage? I mean, did you see me as that kid? She was like, no, I didn't struggle at all. I was like, what? Because we've got a daughter having that conversation and it feels crazy. Right. She said, no, I didn't struggle at all. Katie had brought home so many guys that I knew weren't the one that when she (laughs) brought you home. That this is the one I've been praying for. Now, in my mind, what I heard her say was Katie had brought home so many losers. That, you know, any ex boyfriend is a loser. You guys know how that goes, right? I'm sorry if one of you attends Seacoast, but um, she had brought home so many guys that weren't the one that when you came home, I knew you were the one that I'd been praying for. And the thought that came to mind for me is like, I grew up in a house where my parents prayed for me. But as I think about my marriage, as I think about my kids, I can't help but wonder where I would be, who I might have married, what might have come of my life if there wasn't a single mom fighting to keep her head above water, praying for the man her daughter would one day meet that now 20 days later, 20 years later, not 20 days, we've got seven kids in 20 days, you know, (laughs) 20 years later, we've got seven kids, we're a part of, of ministry, We had a broken marriage, and God restored our marriage. And I can't help but praise God for a praying mom who 20 years ago set things in motion that this is that what I'm living today is what she prayed 20 years ago. So church, I'm telling you, it's an invitation for you and I. No shame on you about what your prayer life has looked like. But what would it look like if we were a people who said, moving forward, we will set the tone. We will change the data as to how long Christians spend in prayer. And our year will be marked by stepping into things that we had prayed for and established in prayer long ago, that we would usher in the blessing of God, the favor of God, that people would be reached that aren't believers through our prayers for them. It's what he's inviting us to. And what I pray of anything that we would get to the end of this year and look back and say, man, I prayed this year like I've never prayed before. Amen. All right, let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for your word. I'm thankful that it doesn't return void. And we receive that invitation as a church to prioritize time and prayer. Might we schedule it? Might we show up for it? Might we speak it out to those in need around us? God, I pray that prayer would set things in motion in our own lives that we would break free of addictions, that we would be healed of diseases, that we might have restoration and relationships that are broken, that you might bring about provision financially, success in our careers, peace in our hearts. God, that we would see ourselves as you do, that we would speak those words over us, that we would receive your word over us. I pray for sons and daughters and spouses and friends and family who are not believers That this would be the year that we put the stake in the ground where they come to know you, they enter into a relationship with you, that our faith might be increased as we see our answered prayers come about, that you would move mightily for your glory and for our good. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, hey, if you're new here to Seacoast, we're going to take the next few moments just to go after God and worship and ask him a few questions. God, what are you saying to me and what am I going to do about it? And for some of you, maybe your next step is to go to the cross. And you might just say, God, for a long time, I felt like prayer was an obligation, something that you wanted me to do or that I had to do. And I haven't seen the cross as access to a relationship with my father. And I want to see coming before you in prayer as an invitation from my maker, the maker of the heavens and earth, all powerful God to move in my life and heart. And you can just write your name on it. Say, God, might I think differently about prayer? See it as an invitation. Know that you're a God who delights in me, who loves me. Scripture tells us without faith, it's impossible to please him because anyone who would come to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So you just pray, God, I believe you exist. I believe you want to reward me. Help me start fresh with a perspective on prayer. For others, maybe you're carrying some pain points in your life today that are burdening you down. And you can come to a member of our prayer team and elders. They'll be here in the front and throughout the rooms for prayers of intercession. They'll speak over you in confidence, pray for you, anoint you with oil. that They might help establish the kingdom in your life and heart. And God would move mightily within you. For others, you can go and light a candle. Maybe there's someone that you love that doesn't know the love of God yet. You can just pray and light a candle. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, draw them to you this year. Use my prayers to bring about change in their life. After we've had some time to respond, we'll sing and celebrate an awesome God. So what is he saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Let's respond together.